Good morning, everybody. Andrew Douglas here, and I hope you had a nice holiday weekend. It was a cold and rainy holiday for us, but uh, it was okay. It gave me a chance to put the finishing touches on my latest project, which I wanted to tell you a little bit about today. So uh, the moment has finally come to announce that I've written a book, and with the help of my amazing co-author, Camille Late, the book is now headed to print. It's called Finding Bagpipe Freedom, and it clocks in at about 250 pages. The book is focused on fully exploring what you might recognize is the Dojo U method, and it details our approach from the ground up. But it's not a textbook or an exercise book. It's a big picture exploration about how to learn and how to apply these basic learning concepts to one of the world's most difficult instruments. Although, really, I think the point is, even though it is difficult, it's quite doable if you set about doing it the right way. When I wrote the book, I wanted to ensure that it wasn't just educational, but that it also flowed well and that it was entertaining. So I was picturing people actually, you know, getting home after a long day of work and enjoying sitting down to read the book. And I think we succeeded in doing that. Um, so today's announcement is that Finding Bagpipe Freedom is now available for pre-order. And I would truly be honored and grateful if you ordered a copy of the book. It's really got uh, a, a great distillation of all the things we've been talking about over the years in the book. Uh, if you do decide to pre-order before June 17th, okay, that'll be the deadline for pre-ordering. Uh, these are the sorts of things that you receive. Uh, you get first access to the book, so the book should arrive uh, the week of July 4th. And so most people who wait until July 4th to be able to order the book, uh, you know, obviously it'll be a week or so before they receive it. So you'll get early access because we will ship it the week before to you so that you get it. Uh, it should be uh, it should be in our hands from the printers, and I'll be able to then autograph your book for you. And pre-ordering is the only way to get an autographed copy of the book. Um, if you purchase after the deadline, you won't be able to get an autograph. Um, we're taking $5 off the list price of the book for those who pre-order, which I think is pretty good. It'll help cover the cost of shipping, which is pretty modest. Um, and then also, you're going to get a whole slew of bonuses, but with the pre-order, I will include free access to the audiobook version uh, of Finding Bagpipe Freedom, which is not uh, professionally done, but it is. it did come out pretty good. Um, I, I was in my studio and I recorded myself reading the book, which I think is kind of exciting. So anyway, I would be truly honored if you grabbed a copy of Finding Bagpipe Freedom. It's something we've been working on for the last year or so, and I'm really proud of how it turned out. For the remainder of the episode, I thought what I would do is share some of the audio from, I think, what has become my favorite chapter, which is chapter three in the book uh, affectionately known as the Bob Ross chapter. So as you're driving around today or doing your chores or whatever, uh, enjoy just a little bit of an excerpt here from Finding Bagpipe Freedom. And again, uh, I really hope that you'll order a copy of the book. Now, before we carry on with the pre-order, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that all you have to do to pre-order the book is go to bagpipefreedom.com. So head over to bagpipefreedom.com if you're interested in pre-ordering the book. And you have until, what did I say, June 17th in order to check it out. Okay, without further ado, here is the Bob Ross chapter. Chapter 3, Earning Bagpipe Freedom in Five Phases. 
Know what you want to accomplish and focus on the process rather than the outcome. Nick Saban. If you're in your mid to late 30s at the time I'm writing this and you grew up in the USA, the soundtrack of your childhood afternoons might have been the soothing tones of Bob Ross's voice, drifting from the TV in the background as you got home from school, grabbed a snack, and did your chores and homework. For the unfamiliar, Bob Ross was a TV personality that painted beautiful landscapes with oil paints and taught viewers to paint along with him. I'm not sure how many people actually got out the brushes and easel and followed Bob step by step. Presumably many. Most, like myself, just watched the show because it was cathartic. Bob had a smooth voice that was like a lava lamp for your ears. He was happy and calm, and the way his creations unfolded before your eyes was truly mesmerizing, time and time again. Every painting started the same way, with an abstract base layer that didn't make a whole lot of sense to a person like me, who's never had the urge to become a painter in any shape or form. Next, he would work on some basic foreground material, like clouds or mountains. By the end of this layer, all the essential shapes worked together to form a solid concept of his artistic idea. Whether he was painting a desert, a lake, or alpine mountain ranges, it was already a beautiful scene, even though we knew he had more finessing to do. Then finally, in the last few minutes, when the average lay viewer like me was pretty sure he was mostly done, he would add finishing touches that were truly mind-blowing. He did it so effortlessly and smoothly that it seemed to me like he was a genius. Bob Ross's The Joy of Painting show was targeted at hobbyists. He insisted that anyone could experience the joy of painting, even if they were taught from a young age that they didn't have the gift or that they should use their time more productively. Using the same basic colors and just a few basic tools, Bob showed us that anyone could be a great artist and more importantly, they could truly enjoy the process. And he was there to show us how with a simple formula he repeated in every episode. No Bob Ross painting ever started with those expert details, hoping that the background would sort itself out. None of his paintings ever began with complexity. Even if he wasn't teaching on camera to amateurs, I'm certain Bob would start with a basic background layer before moving towards complexity in his work. Having earned a fine arts degree myself and completed plenty of interdisciplinary work with artists across many different mediums, I can tell you confidently from experience that all successful artistic creation happens in this order. Creation begins with a foundation and works outwards towards complexity. This is the way creation works and the process cannot be cheated without sacrificing magnitudes of quality. Similarly, bagpipe freedom must begin at the foundations and only then move towards complexity. Whether you're starting from day one, rebooting your entire approach after years of struggling, or simply looking at a brand new tune for the first time, your strategy should always be the same. Begin at the foundation and move towards complexity. If you're wondering, okay, Andrew, so what's the foundation of bagpipe music? And perhaps also, what sorts of things will move me towards complexity? Congratulations, you're starting to ask the right questions, ones that will lead you away from struggling and wrestling with your pipes and towards the confidence and joy you'll eventually feel as you play. At the dojo, we've discovered that the road from musical foundation to true self-expression should be divided into five distinct phases. Each phase builds on the previous one until we, the artistic masterminds, are masterfully juggling many balls, each completely controlled in its trajectory not crossing or crashing into another or losing grip, just creating an artistic message purposefully and gracefully. Sounds just a bit removed from struggling to learn a grade four solo competition march for months, playing it for a judge, not placing, 
and trudging home despondently clutching a partly constructive, partly encouraging score sheet, doesn't it? This kind of artistic freedom isn't out of reach for any player. The path towards it begins, like so much in life, with being in the right place at the right time. Phase one, rhythm. The buck starts here. Rhythm is a concept most readers will be familiar with, or will think they are. By definition, rhythm is how musical events are arranged over time. Anyone who has learned to read or play music will be familiar with the concept of rhythm, but knowing what it is and being able to deploy it accurately and musically are two very different things. You must take rhythm seriously if you want to learn tunes faster and more easily, or if you want to develop great expression, or if you need cleaner note changes or cleaner grace notes, and definitely if you want to improve any of your embellishments. Rhythm is inextricably linked to the rest of our fingerwork fundamentals, aka any techniques we use to wiggle our fingers in a way that's more musically meaningful. Picture rhythm like the middle of a bicycle wheel, and the other fingerwork fundamentals like navigating the different notes of the scale without crossing noises, and creating articulate, crisp grace notes, among other things. Think of them as spokes that all connect to that central hub so the wheel can carry a large load long distances. Most pipers learn the melody notes of the bagpipe first, long before they've grasped the basics of rhythm. In fact, many of us know several doublings or relatively difficult embellishments before we understand the relationship of a 16th note to a quarter note, or how to read a piece of music and extract the rhythm from the page to be able to hear it in our heads or clap it accurately. Unfortunately, typical bagpipe instructors are prone to say something like, don't worry about the rhythm, it'll all fall into place naturally over time. However, this is a pretty dangerous way of thinking. And when I say dangerous, I'm not being dramatic here. Maybe rhythm falls into place via osmosis for pipers who are lucky enough to learn with great teachers by their side every day, or for those who have a solid background in music theory from previous study. But for the rest of us, I honestly believe it could be a fatal blow to our potential as pipers. As an example, cast your mind back to chapter one, where we first touched on the 10 active bagpipe skills. Let's look at rhythm's closest neighbor, scale navigation, also known as going from one note to another cleanly without crossing noises. To navigate between our nine notes successfully, pipers need the ability to move several figures simultaneously. If you can't coordinate your fingers, you end up with crossing noises, unwanted, unintended, uncontrolled interruptions in our melody that have to be eliminated through practice. Unless our fingers move simultaneously from position to position, we get these pesky blemishes in our playing. In chapter six, we'll explore this concept in more depth. The thing is, all note changes happen in a musical groove. And contrary to popular belief, slow fingers or lack of practice aren't to blame for most crossing noises. A lack of rhythmic control is actually the culprit in the vast, vast majority of instances. The same is true of grace notes, which, as you likely already know, are essential to creating bagpipe melody. But all grace notes happen within the rhythmic groove as well. Without rhythmic control, comfort and understanding, your grace notes will also become sloppy. We're going to talk in depth about rhythmic development in chapter five, but for now, I want you to understand that this is the big one. If we revisit Hannah trying to ride her bike from the first chapter, rhythm is like the basic skill of balancing. No amount of pedaling, steering, or physical fitness can make up for not being able to balance on your bike. I cannot emphasize this enough. Rhythmic control is the core skill you must master before any of the others can move you forward. It doesn't matter how much you practice, how much you spend on lessons, how good your bass drummer is, or how neatly pressed your spats are. If you can't feel the groove, you can't have great technique. 
but don't feel sad or overwhelmed just yet. The good news is, if we avoid burying our heads in the sand and reject the lame excuses handed down to us from the primitive hegemonic bagpipe hive mind, learning rhythm is actually quite easy and, heaven forbid, quite fun if you let it be. But as I said, more on that in chapter 5. To summarize, proving to yourself that you have control over the essentials of rhythm is the first checkpoint in setting your bagpiping skills on a path towards bagpipe freedom. Phase two, melody. Here's the thing about learning or relearning bagpipe finger work the smart way. Once you've proven to yourself that you're truly proficient with basic rhythmic skills and reading and playing rhythm is second nature, all you have to worry about when playing notes and grace notes are, well, notes and grace notes. In the years and years before I finally honed this bagpipe freedom process, I must have worked with more than a thousand beginners who were trying to figure out rhythm, the notes of the scale, and essential grace notes all at the same time, which as we know now is a major violation of the dojo code of conduct. No multitasking. It's just not going to work. However, once we can time things well and we understand the basics of rhythm, we really only need to master a few things in order to be able to create excellent bagpipe melodies. First, we must master the finger positions of the nine different notes on our bagpipe scale. If you're reading this book, instead of a beginner's tutor book, that probably means you're already pretty familiar with the basic finger positions for each note. You likely already realize that the finger positions themselves aren't really the root of the problem. Moving your fingers between the various positions is the problem, because it causes crossing noises, the bane of many pipers' existence. Second, we must be able to play basic grace notes to help us articulate melody. Grace notes are designed to help separate and add texture and feel to the melody notes, so they must be played very short so they don't get in the way. More often than not, they'll need to be played at the exact same moment of a note change, and failure to do this properly will result in an unintended extra sound. There's plenty of time to get into the specifics of forging great melodies as the book continues. For now, you just need to understand that the second major checkpoint en route to bagpipe freedom is to produce some relatively unfamiliar tunes. And just remember, right, the last chapter we talked about constant variance and how important that is. And that's why it's so important for these tunes to be relatively unfamiliar to us. Okay, so we want to produce these unfamiliar tunes with a fundamentally sound combination of rhythm, scale navigation, and grace notes. Phase three, basic instrument fundamentals. Whether you are just learning the bagpipes from scratch or rebuilding your skills in order to reorient your piping towards bagpipe freedom, it's now time to shift our focus away from finger work to establish some core bagpipe instrument fundamentals. You may find this strange, but the entirety of phase three happens with no reed in your bagpipe chanter. We recommend putting a stopper in the reed seat of your chanter for the entirety of this phase. Just like rhythm, basic melody, and single grace noting are the foundation to great finger work, the bagpipe also has foundational concepts that pipers should learn before the complete instrument can be played well. These concepts are in order of importance. A, the four points of bagpipe posture. B, the basics of physical blowing mechanics. And then once those are in place, basic tuning of two drones together. And that's all we're gonna do in this phase. As a bonus, in the process of learning these three concepts, you'll also learn the essentials of bagpipe assembly and maintenance. Lucky you. In the old days, and in fact, this is still the predominant way that many bands and instructors teach learners to transition to the pipes, we would start beginners on pipes by corking off their drones, popping a chanter in the pipes, hopefully with a nice easy read, but not always, and doing our best to get them to make music come out of it. 
At best, this is a clunky process that causes extreme frustration for many learners who feel instantly disheartened at such a huge leap from all the work they've put in on a practice chanter. And then at worst, it cements the idea in their minds that piping is supposed to be hard work, often putting them off wanting to play altogether. During your epic launch away from the heavy gravitational pull of bagpipe captivity, your third checkpoint will be to operate a drones-only bagpipe with great posture, great blowing mechanics, and the ability to tune at least two drones together. Then you'll be ready to move on to phase four. Phase four, the meeting of the dimensions. As bagpipers, we need to simultaneously control two fairly complex systems a system of musical fingerwork to create tunes on the one hand, and on the other hand, a system of tonal production and tuning to generate a great instrument sound to project those tunes. These two different systems are complex in that they have many steps to get it right, but they're not complicated. None of the steps are rocket science. So far, we've looked at each system separately. Now though, it's time for our two dimensions to meet. Our solid basic fingerwork skills will be put to the test while operating the bagpipe at the same time. If you look back to chapter one, you'll remember there are 10 essential active skills we need to ultimately relegate to our subconscious before we can shift our focus truly to honing our own unique musical voice. Phase four tends to be by far the most difficult phase because it requires a huge leap in terms of the number of active skills we have to execute at one time. Let's backtrack just for a second to review what we've done from a logistics point of view so far. In phase one, we focus on just one active skill, rhythmic accuracy. In phase two, we learn two new active skills, scale navigation and grace note quality, and add them to the skill we developed in phase one. In phase three, we stop the chanter altogether. So with the fingers out of the equation, we focus on two bagpipe operational skills, a basic steady blowing cycle and tuning two drones together. So if we tally up, that's two new skills added during phase three, with none brought forward from the previous ones. So here we are in phase four, where we finally put a reed in the chanter, bringing fingerwork and instrument skills together, and now things get real. As soon as the chanter is brought into the mix, we introduce three new active skills, which I'll talk to you about in a moment, on top of the need for all five skills from the previous phases to be in top form. As soon as we make the decision to turn on the chanter in our pipes, there are three things we need to be able to do. One, identify and maintain the best chanter reed pressure. Number two, tune the drones to the constantly changing chanter pitch. Number three, eliminate mental blowing anomalies, knee-jerk blowing changes caused by fingerwork. Now, we'll discuss these skills in depth in chapter eight, but for now, it should be easy to see that this phase is a significant step up from the previous three, having five of the active skills at least consciously competent while trying to master an additional three is going to take considerable time and practice. The good news is that we have a game plan, which is more than most piping learners can say at this point. You'll need to prove to yourself that you can both navigate and execute all eight of these active skills needed to transcend phase four of the bagpipe freedom process. It's a lot to take in and work through, but with a positive mindset and repetition, you'll be surprised at just how doable it can be. Phase five, the land of irony. The last phase of the bagpipe freedom process is the most eagerly anticipated of the lot because it's where embellishments and expression are finally added into the mix. Just like eating dessert isn't necessarily bad for you in moderation, jamming out tunes at full tempo while playing all the embellishments 
isn't either. Sometimes you just want to let loose, throw caution to the wind, play your tunes and have some fun. And that's okay and encouraged in moderation. However, existing in this space all the time from day zero of learning would be very harmful to your progression as a piper. It would be like eating cake and ice cream for every meal while trying to train to run a marathon. Without a solid foundation, efforts to develop higher level elements of your craft will be completely wasted. This is the deeply ironic thing about phase five. Embellishment expression nuance land is where most students and bagpipe teachers exist nearly all the time. Have you ever heard any of these before? Real pipers don't simplify tunes. You're not a real piper unless you play all the embellishments. This march won't sound good unless you play it at 84 beats per minute. Hold that note longer. Hey, cut that note way harder. No, don't hold the note that long. What are you, crazy? Now, on this cut note, try to be softer. Just reading those made me want to barf. The problem with this methodology, as we know now that we've taken a closer objective look at our first four phases, is that the preceding phases give us the building blocks to think about these higher level decorative aspects of bagpiping. Embellishments cannot be played without excellent scale navigation, grace note quality, and a strong rhythmic accuracy. Expression stretches the rules of rhythm and in the process puts our scale navigation and grace note quality to the test. What sense does it make to focus in this area when we know that our students can't even clap their hands accurately to a metronome yet? This nearly universal attitude to teaching piping is a huge bottleneck that only the most fortunate, resilient, and talented among us can survive. I personally survived it because my dad was a great piper. He was around me all the time helping me out. My parents, they spent large sums of money on my musical development. I studied music in school. And perhaps most importantly, I'm passionate about this, and I've been highly willing and fortunately able to nourish that passion throughout my entire life. Now, how about you? Do you have a great teacher you can see in person daily? Do you have endless mountains of cash? Are you able to prioritize your passion for music above all of your other life commitments? Most people answer no to all of the above. Some may be fortunate enough to say yes to one or two, but they're in the vast minority. And listen, this is okay. Not everybody who picks up a basketball is going to go to the NBA or even want to. But it doesn't seem right to me that simply because you're not a top 1% prospect, you should be put up against incredible odds in the hopes that you might be a real piper someday, whatever that means. In fact, training more pipers who actually enjoy piping, even though they'll never strive to be an elite, may be the main hope for the growth of our art form. If sports like basketball have showed us anything, it's that having enthusiastic advocates who coach others to succeed the right way leads to a healthy sport and more potential elites getting started in the first place. So instead, we should build up to phase five the right way, step by step, so that these musical finishing touches can truly liberate your musical enjoyment and creativity instead of trapping students in a box that they can't escape from. Put simply, the final phase of the bagpipe freedom process is to build on the first four, by finally, appropriately, implementing embellishments and basic expression into our tunes. Work your way through all of these steps and you'll have achieved what we call bagpipe freedom, a jumping off point into true self-expression where you can go wherever you want to with this amazing skill set that you've built. We'll cover this final phase more in chapter nine. A few mind over matter tricks. 
As you progress through the phases, any number of issues may sabotage your progress, but none more so than the ones in your own mind. As adults, we're particularly susceptible to an affliction known commonly as a bruised ego. Although there are many causes, it usually has one common outcome, which is that it universally prevents progress. We'll discuss these concepts in much more detail in chapter 12, but before you embark on your exploration of the freedom phases, let's briefly cover some of the hurdles you may have to overcome within yourself so you can truly embrace this process. Fear of failure is one of the main reasons so many pipers struggle to progress. Even when no one is looking, the tiniest of complications, a wrong note, a missed embellishment, or a distraction that causes lost focus, can lead to panicked hands seizing up, complete derailment, and a tune sputtering to a grinding halt. So many adult learners have terrible anxiety about playing by themselves in case something like this happens. However, this reaction is completely counterintuitive. Failure is the greatest teacher. People tend to avoid situations where they have to put themselves out there and risk failure. And that's a shame because without exception, students who try to do something, especially if they fail and thus get detailed, personalized feedback on problem areas to focus on, they improve exponentially faster than the ones who hang back, avoid volunteering for feedback or mumble something like, I'll just practice it by myself at home. Admitting that we have weaknesses in the first place is a very difficult thing to do. It's hard to be brave enough to be vulnerable and to put your playing out there for your peers and teachers to hear and critique. Everyone struggles with it, but remember, every piper is in the same boat, regardless of their level. I'm one of the best bagpipers ever to walk the earth. Okay, you know, I'm just definitely being dramatic now. And even I still have weaknesses I struggle with. Additionally, if you're worried about other pipers judging you as you struggle, you shouldn't. They will either emphasize and know your pain from having been exactly where you are, or they'll be so worried about their own turn to play and exposing their own weaknesses that they'll barely notice the tiny issues in your playing that seem like enormous gaffes in your head. I strongly encourage you to push through this anxiety, get comfortable with being uncomfortable, and put that ego aside as you work through the phases. No risk, no reward, no pain, no gain. But... I was taught a different way. As we all know, there are a wide variety of ways to do things out there in the bagpiping world. It's important you know that while I have some very strong opinions about how to most effectively progress your playing, the objective way that I teach fundamentals through the freedom phases and at Dojo University can only improve your piping regardless of the style you were taught or what type of dethrow you play or where you choose to place embellishments relative to the beat and so on. In this book, it's very likely some things I suggest will be different from things you've heard before. If you want to fully embrace this process and get the most out of it, you'll likely need to check your preconceptions at the door and be ready to make adjustments to what you're used to. However, once you achieve bagpipe freedom, you will have acquired control over your instrument and your finger work to such an extent that switching back and forth between different, quote, styles will be simple and effortless. Actually, in essence, that's the whole point of all of this. I don't teach any one style of playing with my students or at Dojo University. Instead, I want to teach you how to attain the control you need to play any style that your heart desires, including your own new and unique style, if that's what you're into. On Bob Ross's very first show on PBS, he delivered these iconic, inspirational words in his trademark reassuring tone. I think each of us, sometime during our life, has wanted to paint a picture. I think there's an artist hid in the bottom of every single one of us. 
And here we will try to show you how to bring that artist out, to put it on canvas, because you too can paint almighty pictures. You know, we have avoided painting for so long because I think all of our lives we've been told that you have to go to school half your life, maybe even have to be blessed by Michelangelo at birth to ever be able to paint a picture. And here we want to show you that that's not true, that you can paint a picture right along with us. And with these words, Bob encourages us that it's not about knowing how to paint, and it's certainly not about perfection. It's about finding a process that lets you practice self-expression in a way that makes you happy, and that brings you joy. The man created really cool paintings, live, in front of our very eyes day after day. But his happy little trees weren't there at the beginning of his painting. Even the great Michelangelo wouldn't start with that level of embellishment. It wouldn't make sense for anyone trying to create something from scratch. Instead, Bob followed a replicable system where his masterpieces began as a blank canvas followed by a background of basics with his happy little details added only as the final flourish once an already beautiful foundation had been laid. Although he's sadly no longer with us, I continued to be inspired by Bob's passion to teach everyday people to paint great pictures. He showed us that producing great art doesn't boil down to magic or talent. It's a process based on a strong foundation building outwards from the basics and towards complexity. And he did it happily, spreading joy to others in the process. Hey everybody, Andrew Douglas here from the Piper's Dojo, and I just want to say thanks so much for listening to today's iteration of the podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard here today, it would be super helpful to us and to a lot of bagpipers out there trying to find us. If you could give us a top-notch review on whatever platform you're using to listen to this podcast, particularly Apple, iTunes, and Spotify, and things like that, your review would be really, really helpful. So if you have a moment today, definitely go over there and help us out. Other than that, until we meet again on the podcast or somewhere else, thanks again for listening.